You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with always typical Lydia. today's show we're going to be doing the 1988 direct to home video scarecrows you want to say classic don't you every time i can hear it i can hear it bubbling up is it called classic apparently i've never heard anyone talk about this although apparently luke raymer of vine torture cast fame does enjoy this film quite a bit he enjoys scarecrows the motion picture the motion picture quite In horror, this isn't the only film to feature killer scarecrows. You also have Night of the Scarecrow that came out years later. But when it comes to tackling horror in which we're doing zombies, but not really, I think straw-stuffed satanic golems is just as good. Golems is a good way to put it. Yeah, they do use the Z word once in this film. Mm -hmm. Once that I noticed. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of glad that they didn't start out right away mm-hmm. saying that they're zombies, but not having any idea how to kill them. That's true. Now, this movie has been added to our list a very, very long time ago. I added it to the list. Why did I even do that? I don't know. I think that it was one of those films that I remember watching when I was a kid. And then I think at the time when we had just started the show... And I'm sure one of our listeners can could correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that the Scream Factory Blu-ray was just coming out or had just come out already. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh, I know, I'll get it because I remember really liking Scarecrows, and I wanted to do something. Um, I wanted to do something with Scarecrows. I always really like Scarecrows. I find them very creepy. They were also very Halloween-y to me, like when you when people put like creepy scarecrows up and around. And um, on SpotterPictures.net, uh, Scott's Horror Corner tackled Dark Knight of the Scarecrows, although that is not really a scarecrow, or Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, excuse me. That's not really a scarecrow, but um, kind of has like that cool imagery at least on the cover of that movie. Sort of like on the cover of Jeepers Creepers, where I was wishing and hoping that it was just all scarecrows. And I get like that one iconic shot, but I don't get the scarecrows that I was after. The way I get the scarecrows that I was always after with this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really basically do. Yeah, yeah. You really do. Now, when it comes to picking what movies that we're going to do in what order, sometimes we like to create, and by sometimes, I mean, really like to have like a thread of logic from one movie to the next. Unless sometimes it's just uh, fan requests, then we just kind of, um, then it's just, it's a fan request. That's the tying knot. That's a little bow that we put on the end of it. But for this, we're going to be going to episode 100 with Tombs of the Blind Dead series. And so we wanted something, something kind of zombie-like going into it. Why not? And, well, we're just going to fucking blow the dust off this one. I rewatched this movie beforehand because like I said, I watched this movie as a kid, probably on the movie network or something. And I remember really, really liking it. But then towards when it came time to actually release it or to do it, I started getting nervous. I started getting nervous in the way that 
I was like, is this movie lame? I don't know. Is this suck? I can't remember anymore. There are so many movies that have lived and died in my mind because I thought it would be great. And then I've watched it and been like, oh, no, we can't do that for the show. Yeah, it's like the reason why my father, when he went back and he watched Tonto, uh, that was the first movie he ever saw as a kid. Not Tonto. No. Uh, Lone Ranger movies? No, it wasn't a Lone Ranger movie. It was about a horse. Okay. It was, and I think the horse was named Tonto. Tonka? It doesn't matter. But anyway, the point is, is that it was a, it was a cowboy movie about a horse, and my dad rewatched it, and he just he couldn't stand it. And I remember him sitting there, just I'm so disappointed, I'm so fucking disappointed in this movie. And and probably the same reason why my mom won't watch uh, Easy Rider ever again. She said she watched it when she was a teenager, thought it was the greatest thing ever. Yeah. And she has never watched it again, and she never will. I watched Easy Rider as a young teen and went directly to my father and said, what the actual fuck, dad? Why do people think this is so great? And he had to explain to me the the genesis of like Easy Rider culture entirely with that particular fucking movie and the actors involved and the lifestyle, what was going on in the Hells Angels at the time. And it was really helpful to have my dad's expertise on that sort of thing, to put it all in context. So I get it. I get it. But like... Like me going back and watching Thundercats now. It's not as great as I thought it was. I had that exact same. So I just talk about Thundercats, guys. We, for some reason, Lydia started talking about the Thundercats while we were watching this movie and started creating, uh, well, started suggesting that certain characters were characters from Thundercats. There were definite parallels. There was parallels between these things. And that is such a good uh, example because I had one memory, one ancient memory of a big robot frog in Thundercats. And I don't remember anything else from the fucking series at all, at all. And so when the, when YouTube became a thing, I had the notion to look at the Thundercats intro. And I remember being blown away. I was like, oh my God, was this what the Thundercats was? This looks awesome. Definitely going to watch Thundercats. Get the fucking first season of Thundercats on DVD. Pop that fucker in. And like the, 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 it, honestly, <laughs> for you guys Thundercats fans out there, I apologize. But it is hard to say anything other than the fact that the intro is the best thing about that fucking show. Yeah. Mumra's pretty cool, too. Mumra's super cool. Yeah. But, yeah. There's a lot of shortcomings, and it's just not the way you remember. It was pretty exciting when you were a kid, but then you realize that a lot of Thundercats was written by child psychologists. No. So, of course, it spoke directly to the brains Mm. of a a particular age group, and their little moral lessons at the end and stuff like that is all just very cherry-picked for a very particular age group, a very Mm. particular demographic at that. Um, It would be good to show school kids... To sort of make kids not be as big of bullies, because that's basically what uh, Thundercats was, was a, a training, a boot camp for uh, bullies to be, and uh, sort of train them, train it out of them. So the whole point of fucking Thundercats is, I swear to God. Welcome to our Thundercats fan cast. I'm your host, Wes Nipe. <laughs> Wes Liononite, but I am Chitara. <laughs> typical Chitara. Typical, typical Chitara. We could be Wiley Kitten, Wiley Cat. Let's just do that. That'd be <laughs> yeah, so we fun. Can do that. <laughs> yeah.
Yeah. But there were parallels in this film, unfortunately. And if you're going to ask what this movie is even about anyway, it's what happens when Lionel dies right away. <laughs> That's basically what this film is. But no, I enjoyed it very much. And I'm glad that you added it to the list. And it does fit in with that sort of like others invading an idyllic family life or a particular way of living and just fucking shit up by their mere presence which is sort of what happened in the fun house and this is the hillbilly horror version of that put into the proper context and the the setting from whence it came into the countryside which i thoroughly enjoy because it reminds me a lot of home in so many ways yeah you were saying that throughout the watching of this picture that there was a lot of tools of the trade tools of the magical scarecrow trade that reminded you home. Yeah, the first time that you said Scarecrow Magic, I kind of laughed a little. But you, you right away snapped to and were like, oh no, seriously, it is it is Scarecrow Magic. That is what is powering this entire fucking shenanigan. And it's true. It is Scarecrow Magic. And it's also just the magic of the countryside, I think. That's mm-hmm. the sort of magic that makes crops grow, Wes. I really think it keeps your tools, your rusted tools, from functioning like they were just bought. Yeah. We had a lot of those tools at the cottage. That's why I recognize things like tin snips and why we had that exact type of saw with the super pointy crosscut saw. Yeah, crosscut saw. And rusty to fuck, but it still cuts better than anything you go pick up at Home Depot, which is just crazy to me. Yeah. And it's when people say they just don't build things like they used to, this is where it's coming from. He takes a, a mid forties fucking truck and it starts you know, better than half the cars on the road today. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't even have an engine. Big old rusty Ford. That's my favorite. Yeah, you can't have a hillbilly horror without a big old rusty Ford, can you? Oh, fuck no. Without fuck a Union no. Jack license plate. It's just, you can't, you just can't. Yeah. I think they borrowed that from six other productions, I swear to God. Things that they borrowed from other productions, too, is the score. I think that they borrowed it from Swiss Family Robinson. <laughs> you think so? I, I do. Or something, you know, maybe like partial Adam's family, but not so much. Mm-hmm. I swear that they just ripped this out of like partially maybe, maybe Magnum P.I. for mm-hmm. some parts. That wouldn't surprise me. Although one thing to consider about this picture is the fact that it is it was from the direct video market. So this this came out directly on VHS. There was no theatrical release to this, which typically meant that it had a much smaller budget. So I get the I'm getting the impression that they are using a lot of stock footage and especially of planes and parachuting and honestly for the concept of this film, there were so many more cheaper avenues you could go than a paramilitary group stealing millions of dollars from an army base, hijacking a plane, forcing that plane to land in a field, basically, next to an old farmhouse. But why did it have to be paramilitary people? You could have had that, the less expensive version of this plot. Some robbers jumped in their van and it broke down outside a farmhouse. Yeah, it could have been that. It could have been a truck full of teenagers. It could have been anything. It's super high concept. And it just leads me to believe that somebody, Ted Vernon, maybe had his pilot's license. Oh, maybe. I'm just guessing. Because he seemed to be a real gad about this, Ted Vernon, who produced this and Mm. was one of the stars. He 
is known as Ted Wolfman Vernon. He was a boxer, apparently. I didn't read too, too much up on him because I wanted to keep this pretty spoiler free for me because I'd never seen Scarecrows. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to learn much going in. I wanted to keep this all pretty fresh. So welcome to episode 99, which is going to suck balls. (laughs) Not the film, not Wes's delivery, but me. (laughs) No. I'm ill-prepared. We'll say I'm ill-prepared. Well, we do that sometimes. I swear, Ted Vernon, that's exactly why this fits in because... They do get footage in a plane. They do get footage while it's in flight. They do a lot of things that they shouldn't have been able to do on this budget. But you're totally right in that they could have saved all that grandstanding, which is what I think it is, and taken this high concept and just boiled it down to fit the budget a little better. Because from the time they land the plane on, they didn't need the plane. No. Although it is a very good visual. There's something they mention in the newscast at the end. That is just really good Final Girl material, I think. But mm-hmm. uh, they didn't even have to show it. They could have just said it. I don't know. It does have that going for it. And honestly, with the paramilitary angle, what you get with the paramilitary concept is the ability to have your characters very well armed. The ability to your characters to be criminals. Um, and also you get the ability to have characters be at odds with other characters because they are kidnapped again though it could have they could have just been robbers in a truck they didn't really necessarily need to be paramilitary people i honestly think it's for the costuming they want the the black and the flak jackets and the grenades and full machine guns i guess they maybe they were trying to do something where they were saying, listen, I don't want my characters to be dropped into this scenario and not have a gun. I want to demonstrate that even if you're fully armed, you're still kind of fucked up. Like aliens. They want that. It's like you have like these Marines with all these weapons go in and get their asses kicked. It's the same thing. It's like you have these paramilitary guys go in and get their asses kicked by fucking tin snips and sickles. Space Marines on planet Earth. That sounds like a really good concept. And you're totally right there. It also facilitates one of the more interesting uh, tactics that they use is that they can't all communicate by radio. So it saves us from cutting away to like these extraneous scenes that would be fully expository scenes. Mm-hmm. Instead of having those cutaways, we can stay focused on one character who unfortunately is having internal dialogue that we can also hear. Which yeah. is very confusing, but yeah. if we took out that internal dialogue, I don't know. I'd rather, in a way, I like the internal dialogue because he's not muttering to himself. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we have radio broadcasts. So mm-hmm. we've got this static character who's not moving his mouth. And we're hearing the voices of four other people mm-hmm. through his headset and his internal dialogue. So it's a little bit much. It's a little muddled. But I like the technique regardless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really enjoyed that because it saved cutaways. Let us focus on Bert. Bert, by the way, is a dude that's not content with his share of three and a half million dollars. Wants it all. He must have planned this going in on the whole scheme. Yeah, yeah. Jumps out of a plane with the money and then doesn't really seem to have a plan after that, though. That's the crazy thing about it. If you are going to be involved in a robbery of a military base. You're going to hijack a plane with you and your chums. Is your plan end at jump out of the plane? Because once he lands, 
He doesn't really he doesn't really have a plan. He's like, there's got to be a truck or a car or something that I can grab from here. But he doesn't know that. I think that's exactly it, though. And it's almost like a Navy SEAL attitude where he's like, I've been in way worse situations. I just kick the money out of the plane, jump out after it, and whatever happens after that, I'm, I'm positive I'll get away because I'm a tough motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Um, I say Navy SEAL. I don't know what he was. He was Australian, this particular character. Mm-hmm. So another misfit in the group, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but that seems to be the plan. Like Maybe it's an outback mentality where it doesn't matter what you kick me out into. It's not boiling hot out and I'm not going to die of thirst and it's not in the middle of the outback. So I think I can make it. Mm-hmm. He's going to take his crew by surprise and they're going to be as unprepared as he is. But at least he knows what his plan is just get the fuck away from them with the money. Right. Right. Yeah. But he does jump out of the plane and he gets himself to this mysterious farmhouse. You like that? I do. And I like that it starts right away. You know, we meet the people. We see what they're doing. The paramilitary. They've robbed a bank Mm -hmm. or they robbed a military base. They've hijacked a plane. They have two kidnappees Mm -hmm. along with them to pilot the plane. And within, what, 10 minutes, we're in a a farmhouse. Yeah. Yeah, we've got Bert talking to himself with people on the radio still that he's monitoring while he's trying to make his hasty escape with a broken down Ford. Yeah. It's nice that, you know, you wouldn't know where this movie would go. You could put this movie in front of pretty much anyone and they'd have some level of interest. And then the paranormal begins, where the water turns on from the spring to the pump, the windmill starts to creak, and the generator starts up. Scarecrow magic, you say. Yeah, yeah. And at this point, you might sit back and ask yourself, what the fuck is even happening? This farmhouse seems to not have been occupied in a while. And when Bert first shows up, there's no power. There is a picture frame on the wall, though. With three guys on it. Look like they're hunters. I named them. You, d- you did name them. Well, uh, Just remind me again, what were those names? Pa. Pa. And Len. And? Shorty. Shorty. Well, it's because he's only slightly less tall than Len. Gotcha. Gotcha. Pa's in the middle, you say. Well, who looks like Pa. Yeah. 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 Pa's in the middle. Len and Shorty. Because they don't name these three characters at all. They don't name... The household, we don't see a mailbox with a last name. We don't see any script tools that explain who these people are. Oh, we do see a mailbox that says Fowler. Does it? Yeah. Well, I'll be. I didn't see this mailbox. I, good call, Lydia. No, no, it's okay. You were uh, writing down notes. Oh, I was, eh? Yeah. Probably <laughs> writing down, why the fuck haven't they given these people names? I had to name them, fuck's sakes. <laughs> Fowler. The Fowler residence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's funny because it's you'd be forgiven to miss that because this is the set. First of all, this is the second time that I've seen this movie uh, recently. And this is also probably the third time that I've seen this movie all together. So, but there was things on this viewing that I had not noticed before. And that is when you're really taking time to consider some of the more maniacal ranting of one of the particular characters. But we'll get to that mm-hmm. because when you miss a lot what he, of a lot of what he says, 
it's not fucking clear what's happening. You understand that this movie is called Scarecrows. You understand that there's a lot of establishing shot of Scarecrows. Which I love. The very first uh, scene during the title credits is just a very slow zoom in on a very cool looking Scarecrow. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of Scarecrows. Even up until this point, aside from just the uh, typical farm stuff and the, like I said, the generator turning on and the windmill. We get shots of the weather vane. We got shots of scarecrow after scarecrow, mm-hmm. uh, cornfields and just old equipment. So it is very, a lot of shots that are just old farm at night. So I could have even seen this mailbox and it just blended into the background of all mm-hmm. these shots, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's no ordinary uh, weather vane, though. No fat cock on top of it. No, not at all. Some kind of... Uh devil some kind of demon i thought it was just a bat but it definitely is demonic and he has like what looks like a pitchfork Mm -hmm. coolest weather vane ever very cool but it makes you wonder well what kind of people would have a weather vane like that that aren't you i was gonna say the coolest people on earth west (laughs) best farmers ever they must have farmed that like black rice forbidden rice and some sort of goth corn (laughs) dark blue corn (laughs) <laughs> goth farm goth corn get your goth corn here yeah black as night that's what i do totally black basil you yeah. ain't goth unless you got your goth corn it's me trying to sell goth corn <laughs> you sound kind of like new england new england goth farmer sure i'd buy black fucking corn off you yeah sure. but that weather vane is cool because it also like there's little tiny things that you don't get answers to and there's questions that aren't even asked there's no wind blowing and the weather vane moves. Eh, whatever. You know, That's it's true. creepy. That's all it needs to be. You know, Bert didn't count on one thing, though. What's that? Well, his friend's also having parachutes. Oh, fuck. Yeah, I forgot about that. And they yeah. have guns and they can all pay attention to him because they're goddamn paramilitary. So when they're flying around, because they're circling the house where he kicked the money out and parachuted down himself. Yeah. And as soon as he gets into a truck, they're like... And they can hear him on... He can hear them on the radio. They're like, ah, I see lights. He must have a truck. And it's like... Foiled again. And they're fucking with him, too, because Curry, who, is he the leader? He seems like de facto leader, although no one really listens to him. Not really. I'd say Corbin was the leader, because he had that uh, giant cigar hanging out of his mouth, like a J. Jonah Jameson kind of guy. Uh-huh, and uh, A. Pone from Aliens, he had a cigar and he was in charge. Very much so. Mm. And Panthro. Panthro, <laughs> the wisest of all Thundercats. You want to know something? I never put together that Panthro is supposed to be a Panther Man until I was well into my 20s. Really? I ne- it never occurred to me what he was when we watched the cartoon as a kid. And even when I saw it again, I was, he looks kind of green to me. Like he looked more like a, a gremlin or an elf or something. No, he always looked blue to me and like blue black kind of color and... I don't know. I wish they'd given him hair. If they'd have given him hair, we probably would have caught on to the panther thing. But it fits here because he looks like Corbin. And he is the wisest of the Thundercats and also the moral compass, which Mm -hmm. isn't necessarily established in this. And that's what started me on this whole Thundercats riff. If if they would have established Corbin as the moral compass of the group, Mm -hmm. much like Panthro. He seems to be the most concerned with Kelly after all is said and done. Not right at first. And honestly, right at first... It's Curry front and center, and then Jack seems to be the second in command, but only just because they're very good buddies. He's very good buddies, and he's sort of, at first, 
comes across as a moose character from Riverdale. Not too bright. He's a big lumbering jock. He is their sharpshooter as Mm. well, which is kind of belies that typecast I had put on him of moose because they give him the dumbest lines. He does the dumbest things, like picks up a live grenade. Mm -hmm. And he does sort of moose, you know, bull, things like that. Um, But then he totally belies that character mm-hmm. as the movie progresses which i really like i did enjoy the character of jack for that reason no one else seems to give a fuck about the kidnappies the pilot and his daughter kelly until later on when corbin does suddenly a 180 and yeah gives it very much fucks about kelly a lot it's it's really glaring it is glaring to the point that when it happened i was like since when did you guys give a fuck about them and you said this is exactly where it turns on a dime and they corbin suddenly does care very much about Mm -hmm. the people they've kidnapped and and then it's it's not even so much you wouldn't even know that they were kidnapped yeah it it, it doesn't it, it almost would seem as though oh did kelly and her father are these people here to rescue her or something it's because they really take a lot of care even Roxanne, they're not... I'm getting the sense from these people that they're more robbers than they are bloodthirsty mercenaries. Now, characters like Curry might be a little bit more hard, but it seems as though everyone else is more concerned with stealing of the money, but they're not really interested in killing people whole like whole cloth they're not cold-blooded killers roxanne when she's talking to the pilot is saying listen like like, she'll be fine just don't move stay off your radio she'll be fine more and 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 the way that she delivers her line specifically seems to be a realization of his concern where she's just trying to calm him down this of course doesn't necessarily mean that these people are altruistic it just means that i think that Whereas it'd be easy to portray these characters as cold-blooded killers that really don't care if these people live or die. They seem to be portraying that they want the money and they want to rob and they want to get away scot-free, but they don't want to kill anyone unless it's necessary, or at least these people. So maybe, but I still think it's crazy because about midway point of the movie is that Kelly's just one of them, you know? Yeah, she starts to have a say in decisions, start to actually listen to her, Telling- but it's- also, could I be out of desperation because they are being killed off one by one? Bert is the first casualty of yeah. all of this, which is kind of fun. It's a very fun tactic is that they're all chasing this one guy. Little do they know he's already being killed. Mm-hmm. And I, I do enjoy that that tactic. There's a lot of really cool tactics used in the writing of this film. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It, it's a good method to keep your characters locked down into an area when there's really no reason for them to stay locked down for starters bert has their money they're looking for bert and they have enough evidence to support that he's still around because they think that he is they can see evidence that he's been to the farmhouse they can see evidence that things have been moved around and so they also have the two missions at this juncture find bert find the money and they're not leaving until they do that and even though we see Bert get knifed in the gut by this creature, what do you think about the look of these scarecrows? I really enjoy the look of the scarecrows very, very much. And it does tie in nicely to Tombs of the Blind Dead. Mm-hmm. And it ties, lives right alongside some of the better uh, zombie 
makeup and you can see there probably are shortcomings in their makeup but the way that it's lit hides all of those quite artfully so mm -hmm. I do enjoy that. I like that they don't really have much to say. Mm -hmm. I like that they seem to be able to move as fast as they jolly well please. Yeah. And they're very bloodthirsty. Mm -hmm. They also do more than just kill the person. And mm -hmm. like the one boring thing about zombies sometimes is their insatiable brain lust. Or the fact that some zombies uh, kill to chew meat. Or just kill for no reason. Kill because something's moving and not one of them um it's a lot of times it's really left up in the air it's like the writers aren't sure why the zombies kill uh mm. these scarecrows have a particular reason to be killing and things that they do to people as well which i find quite fascinating and it takes it beyond the whole zombie culture you want to call them zombies just a shorthanded to save time because they're zombie like but mm -hmm. these scarecrows are, are pretty unique as far as monsters go and i like yeah. their look a lot yeah i remember when when it gets to the point where our we get a pov shot of the farmhouse and we know that bert's been killed and we're getting some heavy breathing and so all of all of our characters have converged on this farmhouse to just sort of suss out what the fuck is going on and how they're going to find bert and their cash you had said oh is this where he's now a zombie and i just said not totally accurate Although, kind of. I later corrected myself to say, okay, Haitian sugar yeah. plantation zombie. Yeah. Because there's nothing really visually wrong with him at first. He just mm -hmm. comes back and he doesn't have much to say. Yeah, in a stupor and a daze, he mm -hmm. seems to be fairly immune to the punishment they're reaping upon him. Because, by the way, this person did fucking rob them. Yeah. And they need to find where the money is. And Curry's screaming at him. And, and Corbin's punching, punching the living shit out of the dude. He doesn't seem to be taking any damage whatsoever. There's no blood. There's nothing. And he's able to communicate. He is able to speak. Although it's almost as if you're trying to have a conversation with a very, very drunk person. They surmise that he's done a bunch of drugs and fried his brain yeah. so that he can't tell them where the money is. Mm -hmm. And they're going to get frustrated and they're going to leave. It's quite the plan. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Curry's pretty pissed off because him and Jack went off into the, the surrounding countryside to try and find him found his parachute and tried to cut it down thinking it was the money in there mm -hmm. and it was full of blood so full he's blood. pissed because oh, they yeah. he pranked them he left them a trap of his parachute full of blood which is hilarious that they would jump to that conclusion so they've already jumped to like a really wicked conclusion of stupidity i think of you know he pranked us by filling his parachute full of blood blood from where who knows yeah. Well, it goes even that is is pretty funny. But then also the fact that Jack literally sees one of these scarecrows moving in night vision and he gets scared off the roof of this place and then heads down there and says, I saw a scarecrow doesn't finish his sentence, which is very frustrating in horror because the rest of that sentence is I saw a scarecrow moving on its own like it were alive. But all he says instead is, I saw a scarecrow. And everyone's like, of course you saw a fucking scarecrow. There's dozens of them. They're all over the place. Yeah. And then they say, but the parachute, which he also saw. And then he's instantly, oh, oh yeah, 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 the parachute. And then he's, that's where his brain is. It's up until that point that he's still fulfilling the role of moose or bull. Yeah. <laughs> Some sort of large animal. Because yeah. he basically was up until that point. And then he starts to be the one that seems to know a little more of what's going on understand a little more of what's going on and mm -hmm. keep the logic puzzle that is this film straight in his head 
mm-hmm. which is a, a cool character to have. Usually it's the, the small nerdy character. I yeah. guess they don't have one, so they blended the small nerd into the giant moose man. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool. Yeah, or somebody who's devoutly religious or somebody who is uh, an outsider even amongst this group of outsiders. Right? Mm-hmm. Like Kelly, the kidnapped Kelly. She could have mm-hmm. been mm-hmm. the person keeping the logic yeah. puzzle straight to yeah. try and figure out what is chasing them and what is killing them off but no yeah, kelly basically just sits there doing her hair she doesn't even really well she's she's pulling stickers out of her hair and i always i don't know if like i know that people call them stickers and a sticker bush is something to some people in this planet i've just always disliked people that call burrs stickers see i when she kept saying stickers i actually don't didn't even really know what she was referring to burrs burrs okay yeah. So and I've I've just always disliked people that call them stickers. You probably could have just left that sentence half as like what you did there. I just always just disliked people, period. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> definitely true. I dislike most people regardless of what they call burrs. You do. But that's okay. I love people enough for both of us. Mm-hmm. That you do. That you do that you didn't even question what she was pulling out of her hair. I was like, oh, poor thing. Don't like being in them there woods now, do you? What I tell you, do you think that Roxanne got hitched with looking after Kelly because they're both women? It's like, you're, that's your job. Completely. Because when somebody yells to no one in particular, go change her diaper, meaning go shut Kelly up, Roxanne is the person that has to go do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy to me. It's unfortunately the way it works. Girls go to the bathroom together in 1988, so why the hell not? Yeah, you're the girl. She's the girl we kidnapped. You have to take care of the girl we kidnapped. Because we're too busy being macho. Yeah, they're also too busy being macho, but they're also... uh, She doesn't have any specific role, I don't think. Like, Roxanne, her only real role is to be money-grubbing, which unfortunately is is another horrible trope hoisted upon women, especially ones with hair like hers oh big glam hair i like that you had commented when we were watching that you don't think that that hair is like military or whatever it's not military issue yeah like it's not a military safe haircut (laughs) holy fuck she roxanne looks like every picture on the wall of a barber shop that's just been around for 40 years she's got hair she's like and her attitude too is like a cross between Julia and Cruella DeVille. <laughs> That's basically who this Roxanne person is. Yeah. Julia from Hellraiser. Yeah. To be to be fair. Um yeah, no, that's a really good call. Absolutely. That's what she's acting like. She's money grubbing and all she cares about is keeping the other girl quiet. Yeah. No different than keeping people quiet in Hellraiser, no different than keeping a one hundred and one Dalmatians quiet. And it's all about money. It is all about money. She lights Bert the fuck up. You know, when Curry has had enough of Bert and his shenanigans, rips his shirt open. Now, when I'm mad at people, I also rip their shirts open. So this isn't strange to me at all. And what do we get here? But a grisly Y incision? It is. It is the most haphazard grisly Y incision I ever did see. And it's like, you know, country style. You know, if you have to... You know, tear up a boar and take out its intestines, but the rest of the boar is pretty much useless. You're only going to really stitch it up with baleen twine that that easily. 
And that's what it looks like, that he's just stitched up with bailing twine really loosely. Yeah. And it's really kind of grotesque. Yeah, and cut with those fucking tin snips, most likely. Yeah, very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. One thing I do wish that they could amp up the gore in this somehow, but you had said that it actually is amped up compared to what was originally released. Mm-hmm. So when this film was released direct to video, there were two versions of it, and this was the unedited one. Now, I had originally thought that when I was watching this DVD, because I don't have the screen, I never got the Screen Factory version. I just, I don't know, I just never did. There was something in my brain that was that was telling me not to spend the money on it. Uh, and so I eventually got just the regular old DVD that came out before Screen Factory released their copy. And so I thought, which has happened before when I buy older DVDs or when I buy DVDs and then later a Screen Factory version comes out, that now I'm missing footage. It's why I had to rebuy, had to, why I chose to rebuy films like Sleepaway Camp because, you know, they took away precious seconds of my fucking movies, Lydia, and I need to watch them. Yeah. And so I thought to myself, ah, motherfucker, do I now have to get this? No, because I looked it up uh, a few weeks ago when I had this thought. And the, the DVD version, the MGM DVD that we have, uh, no, that's all of it. And so we have the uncut. Now, there are some fairly gory scenes coming up or more gory in concept. It's not like the goriest thing I've ever fucking seen on a screen. But I mean, we could just spell it out. Bert has been stuffed with straw and money. His body is hollow. He is a cadaver full of straw, almost like his skin were old shitty clothes that your grandpa left behind that you're now going to use to make, oh, I don't know, a scarecrow. We just used my dad's old work clothes. That's what we made scarecrows out of. But yeah, I, I gotta correct you. It is a walking, talking, breathing scarecrow, though. It is, and yeah. that doesn't seem to really tweak them right away. Because when they're pulling out the hay covered in blood, that's like mixed in with money, and they're trying to pick the money out of Bert's body mm-hmm. that they've decapitated, by the way. Oh yeah, Corbin fucks him up because they light him up with bullets, and he don't stop coming. Yeah, but you decapitate him and then chop his arm off. Yeah. Yeah, and he's and he's dead. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't seem like they say, "Oh my God, he's full. He's stuffed full of straw." Rock, Roxanne is like he ate the money. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's not how your digestive system works. He ate the money. He ate the money. What a fucking leap of faith they're taking that this wasn't some sort of crazy supernatural being mm-hmm. that ate the money. What the fuck? It's a guy that was walking, talking, wouldn't be stopped by thousands of fucking bullets, mm-hmm. and is full of straw. <laughs> yeah. He's very obviously dead, and they don't question any of that. Yeah. It's crazy. It's glaring. crazy. Now, Curry has already, before Bert has shown up, he's, he's done some sniffing around this farmhouse. There are strange, vague altars in one room with a knife and a stump and a crow with candles on it. Knock, knock. (laughs) Well, he starts to, he throws out the idea that maybe the people who were in this house were Satanists, which is just a catch-all excuse that you just throw out when you don't really know in a horror movie. Satanists, it fits to me, 1988 paramilitary group that doesn't care anything about 
anything but getting their money and getting the fuck out of there. And they're saying that their straw-stuffed, dead, walking, talking buddy must have ate the money, quote-unquote, <laughs> which is just fucking dumb. So, of course, they're going to be like, oh, my God, it's like some sort of Satanist shit going on up here. Yeah, okay. It fits to me. It totally fits. And they're throwing out the Z word later on. It mm-hmm. totally fits. They have no real reaction. They don't seem to remember how he kills zombies either. But at least they only say the word once. Mm-hmm. It kind of saves them in my mind. But yeah. Well, also. Broad brush strokes. It differentiates them from zombie films where people have never heard of zombies before. So mm-hmm. that Completely. helps. So now it's become a matter of do we stay in the house? Do we get the fuck out of here? Do we get the money? And the money is the reason why you still have characters that aren't just booking. Because here's the big difference between this film and a lot of other zombie films that we've seen or other outback dangers that people can get in. This is not a group of teenagers with a flashlight, a kitchen fork, and a dead cell phone. These are fully armed to the teeth, fully automatic grenades armor piercing rounds they all have bowie knives they all have knives they all have radios very capable yeah but the thing that makes it isolate the thing that still keeps us like an isolationist story is the fact that first they're on the lam they can't go to authorities for help but they do have a plane and they have someone that can fly a plane and they have still a kidnapped daughter they have i i it's the money needs to be there, but it gets to the point where you're wondering, as they're sitting there, knelt down, just squicking blood off these fucking bills. Which is one of my favorite scenes when they're digging through this roughly wine incision corpse of their friend, pulling out handfuls of bloody straw and money and using their fingers to squeegee blood off of it. You fucking Jack is sitting there with the head of Bert, just digging in, digging into it with the, like. This is like the most ice cold thing. I know they didn't like Bert anyway because he tried to fucking rob them. Yeah. But at the same time, it's just the, the, the they're so casual with the death and bodies. Like they're definitely all proper ex-military. Like I don't feel like. Except Roxanne. I can't yeah. see that she would have seen battle whatsoever in yeah. 1988 as a woman. Mm-hmm. But she's in like Flynn regardless of that yeah. particular fact. The other guys, yeah, ex-Vietnam. Definitely, that's the sort of vibe I'm getting from them all. So it's they're used to carving through the heads of corpses for riches. <laughs> I don't know, digging out gold fillings or whatever. It's really no different. And Jack treats it like he's, you know, taking the goop out of a pumpkin. That's what I'm saying. Like, he, it really, it's that. Yeah. I, I couldn't have put it better myself. It's a fucking pumpkin to him. Yeah. He's just fucking digging with his knife. And chit-chatting while he's doing it. Yeah. But this is where his, you know, he has a sea change as a character where he starts to sort of piece all of this together. Mm-hmm. And as gross as it is to him, he gets that he's full of straw like a scarecrow. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder if it was one of those scarecrows I saw because... You know, this isn't right. He's the only one to really be like, this isn't right. Where all Roxanne cares about is the money. She's like, this isn't even half of the money. Yeah. And we can't leave yet. And Mm -hmm. they do get the breadcrumb trail through from here on in of dollar bills just floating around in the breeze. Dollar bills on trees. A little stash here, a little stash there. Yeah. It it really becomes a matter of trying to collect all this fucking money like they're in a goddamn video game. (laughs) Yeah. But it's strange because it almost doesn't seem good enough to me. I I, be, I think maybe at this point there should be more talk. Now, Roxanne believes that what is actually going on 
is, okay, you cannot deny that this motherfucker was stuffed with money. We don't understand how he was still walking and talking and nigh invulnerable to bullets. But the the leap that she takes from then is that whoever owns this property wants the money. Yeah. And now they're just trying to scare them. Like this is just the most violent episode of Scooby-Doo you've ever fucking seen. But I don't think that that holds a lot of water. Because Roxanne, a.k.a. Chitara. Chitara, yeah. <laughs> it does not give a fuck about anything other than the money. That's all she can see. It's blinding her entirely to the logic of the situation. It's mm-hmm. blinding her entirely to suggestions that they wait for sunup. Or the suggestion that they just get the fuck out of there. Mm-hmm. That the money doesn't even fucking matter if they're all going to die. Mm-hmm. She Like, those two things just don't even equate to her. You might as well be talking to a brick wall. She's like, yeah, but the money. <laughs> the money. That's all she cares about. Well, that, now this money is all over the fucking farm property like goddamn confetti. And so they're going to split up and they're going to find it. Now Jack goes off on his own and finds his harmonica, starts playing that fucking thing. Which is cool because at the beginning, I he was playing harmonica and I just, you know, cringe a little bit. When he jumped out of the airplane, he dropped his harmonica and bitched about it over the radio, which I thought was funny. And when he said he dropped his harmonica, I said good out loud because <laughs> great, that's awesome. But mm-hmm. he found it, which I thought was kind of a cool thread to take with his character. Not that he suddenly became that moose dumb person he'd been at the beginning, yeah. but it was also another way that Curry could position him. Out in the dark, in the fields, in the forests, Mm -hmm. because there's woods and fields surrounding this farmhouse. And he's out there just picking up bill after bill after bill that's just spread amongst in the trees and in the grass. But he's playing our harmonica, so Curry can tell where he is. But we know Jack's not listening to his radio, and all Curry can hear is the radio, or is all, all Curry can hear is the harmonica playing. So we have a pretty good inclination that Jack's not long for this world. No, because it also would alert their enemies. If you're going to go out in the dark in the countryside while people are hunting you, the best thing to do is play a harmonica. After you've split up and barely paying attention, just staring at the ground, he gets knifed pretty good. I like the eerie quality of this whole scene, too, of somebody standing on the porch knowing there's someone else in the bush, like a friend of theirs, that isn't responding to them, but they can hear this eerie harmonica music. Mm-hmm. over the darkness and the mist of the forest and the fields surrounding them. And that's the only like link he has to his friend. And then the harmonica stops. And I do like the technique that's used here. Um, but we're pretty sure exactly what happened to Bert is going to happen to our friend Jack. Mm-hmm. This is easily one of the more gory scenes in the thing because the scarecrows are sawn off his hand. Seems weird. To just do that, that's not a lethal maneuver. I mean, it hurts like fucking hell. He's screaming and put a sack over his head Mm -hmm. and then stab him in the mush with a nice geyser of blood. But then we see back to one of the scarecrows with some thread and just sewing that hand on his stump. Yeah. Guess he needed a hand. (laughs) Waka waka. Yeah. We also get some shots of the tin snips and working their way up as up as torso. Well. So we get the idea is like, oh, okay, well that's how they did it to Bert. They, mm-hmm. you just take the tin snips, cut up the torso, fill, like take out all the guts, which is why there was probably that hanging bag of blood. It was probably all of Bert's innards in a sack, which is kind of hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Curry must smell like a fucking slaughterhouse. 
Well, that's just it, right? He just got hum- he got doused in human blood, we'll say conservatively, an hour ago. Yeah. And he's just walking around like that. Usually it's you that worries about how people smell. I know. Once Curry encounters these scarecrows, empties a clip, doesn't stop it at all. He runs away and everyone has to converge back to the the farmhouse. This is where Curry basically loses his fucking shit and starts coming up with all kinds of crackpot theories about what's happening. He goes from... First things first, he declares without a shadow of a doubt, these things are absolutely unstoppable. You cannot kill them. Bullets do nothing, even though that they've already taken down one of them in the form of Bert before. And that they're not after the money, they are after them. Mm-hmm. Second theory he's got going is that they're all dead, that they died. How did we get away from the that military base? It made no sense. First, it seems to be like he is suggesting that did the military base lure us here? To have us picked off one by one. I'm trying to not laugh out loud to ruin your, your this recording. <laughs> but that's fine. And then, or are they dead and this is some kind of twisted purgatory? Is this hell? While he's having these revelations, there is harp music in the background. So you can't help but believe him. Yeah, it was like, well, is that what's happening? It seems that all of these things combined. My theory, which I don't think this is a puzzle so much as it is a junior jumble... But it's that the three people that were in this cabin performed some kind of ritual, became these scarecrows, and now they kill people indiscriminately who enter this farmland territory and they harvest parts and they can also create additional scarecrows. Yep. That's pretty much what we got. They're golems entirely to protect this land. Yeah. That's exactly what is going on. No, it's not a puzzle. It's not very deep at all. It's a wonderful little supernatural tale. I love it's it's basically an Irish ghost story. Mm-hmm. It really is, and I like that a lot. It's an Irish country ghost story at that. So I do enjoy all those elements of it. Mm-hmm. But of course, Curry takes it right into crazy Twilight Zone land. Oh, and yeah. it's also that coupled with the fact that he's reached his breaking point as a human being. He mm-hmm. has gone off of the deep end. Yeah, yeah. Everyone is trying to reason with him while he is sputtering nonsense up to the point that he hears Jack on the radio. He sort of is having a Ash and Evil Dead 2 moment. Kind of, yeah. Or, But do you think that as a paramilitary guy, ex-military guy or whoever, do you think that he broke too easily? I find that it's too easily. He had one encounter with these scarecrows. Is it because his friend died? Uh I was just going to suggest that um, because we do figure that they're friends because he takes a piss out of jack every chance he gets and Mm. they are buddies they might have gone on a tour together you know Mm -hmm. that's probably how they became buddies and that's a lot to do with it that or if he's the type of person never believed in any sort of paranormal anything whatsoever and he was just a really rational guy and he's got this shoved in his face that someone can be a walking talking breathing scarecrow and there can be three more of them out in the fields coming after the rest of you Mm-hmm. It's it's hopeless and it's completely earth shattering to him. So I wouldn't say he broke too easily. Maybe the story itself wasn't convincing you enough. Mm-hmm. But him being in that situation, no, I can buy it. I can buy it entirely. Yeah, maybe I guess my point being is there was no indication of enough time. So maybe if he were to, 
I understand him being scared. I would be scared too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I, but it's the fact that he's hearing things. He's hearing Jack on the radio. However, now that I just said that, now that I just had that thought, Kelly's father heard her voice when it wasn't being spoken. Kelly, who ran away in an instance, hears her father's voice when we know full well that at this point her father has been killed. Yeah. Scarecrow magic, what? So are these things in his fucking head? Now, you mean are these things in his fucking head because of post-traumatic stress of some sort and because he's reached his breaking point? Or are these things in his head because of scarecrow magic? I'm th- I'm asking about scarecrow magic. It is scarecrow magic. I, I fully, fully believe that. And coupled with the fact that he's just, you know, he's a blank slate now because he has sort of reached his breaking point of believability. And anything that the scarecrows can throw at him, he's going to swallow right now. Mm. But he does have the best idea out of all of them. Just sit tight, don't split up, wait till set up. Mm-hmm. It's the only way that even though he's totally off his rocker gone cuckoo loco, mm-hmm. he still has the best idea that I've heard so far. But you got Roxanne chirping in his ear. Three and a half million dollars out there. We can't just leave it. Although at the end of that scene, Roxanne changes her to the tune of we're going to grab money as we go to the plane. Because mm-hmm. Corbin is like, we got to get the fuck out of here. And and at this point, like, this is where he's getting all like, after after Kelly comes back and gives word that her father is dead, they all seem to have a collective sense of responsibility for that. Yeah. Which right before that was change her fucking diaper to now they're like, okay, you know, we're we're all going to, we're all a team now. Yeah. We all got to get out of this alive. Corbin's all... You. Don't worry, I won't let anything happen to you. What the hell are you talking about? You fucking kidnapped her. And something's already happened to her. Her father's dead. Yeah. A sea change. Another strange character sea change. But, you know, I buy it. He just wants out of there. I just think that if this was... If they were under siege for multiple days... She's talking more rationally than Roxanne is. She is. And when Curry just can't even get over the fact that Roxanne has... Jack's gun. Give me your fucking gun. How do you expect him to get out of here if he doesn't have his gun? Gives him his gun. Tells him to get the fuck out of there. So they all leave him. And he's just in this fucking farmhouse. And they're going to make their way to the airplane. So basically all that happens is while they're on their way, it's like, here's here we go. There's the... We're out of here. Here's the fucking plane. Roxanne, like, she's got fucking ADD sees like crumpled up money on the ground and just veers off in the other direction so you're right that is that whole character's motivation yeah because you can be that easily distracted between safety and escape and a couple crumpled bills in the bushes and like a bag here and there Mm -hmm. you know look more money yeah we got more money they all have these little bags of money i was like fuck guys i mean i know that's what you that you're there for It'd be kind of shitty to be wanted fugitives and not even have the money that you stole. But it might suck more to be dead. I don't know. I've never robbed anybody and I've never been dead, so I can't see. No, exactly. But from their point of view, it's like either or. Both suck. Whatever. I'd rather my money and maybe live. Speaking from this criminal mind. But then my mind is sort of like, well, everything's really fucked up here tonight. So I'm just going to sneak away if I can leave the property without the scarecrows killing me. And I'll come back tomorrow and just pick through the debris and mm-hmm. maybe ground a couple bucks. If I get out of there with like a couple hundred thousand, I'll be happy. 
All right. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of those bags has got to be worth something. Yeah. And she's got one. She's got pockets full of bloody cash, too. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know what her big problem is, but she is just that money hungry. Well, she gets fucked right up. That's what you get for splitting off and leaving the pack. That's true. Speaking of leaving the pack, we are back at the farmhouse. We got Curry. Curry's there. Yeah. Still losing his shit. Losing his shit. Fucking wondering what's going on. Wondering where Jack is. Thinking Jack's on the roof. He's not anywhere, dude. (laughs) Is this when we get the most shocking and unexpected turn of events? That actually made me jump in my seat a little bit? Wait, what happened? The phone rang. I didn't even know this building had a phone. No, neither did I. I mean, it, it has power because of the generator, but yeah, right. I, I totally forgot phones existed. I know, right? You'd think that this farmhouse is a million miles from anywhere and was probably built before they had fucking electricity. No, they should have had one of those little box phones that have the earpiece that's separate. You know, talking <laughs> oh, the oh, is it crank it? Yeah, the crank phones. Uh, we used to have one of those upstairs at my grandmother's house. Oh, Loved really? it, yeah. Cool. Um and one, there was one out in the barn, but it never, ever worked. The crank was rusted and everything. Because you need a phone in your barn. Mm-hmm. This one is a rotary dial telephone. Mm-hmm. It is probably a bell issue. Mm-hmm. Typical phone. And it's a wall, wall phone. It so. has that bell ring to oh, it. Yeah. Very distinct. And it, it did... I'm not even kidding when I say it. It made me jump in my seat. Because I forgot phones existed. And why the fuck would there be a phone here? And who the fuck is calling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is pretty crazy, but who's on the other end? It's our friend Jack. Yeah, you don't got a star 69 in that shit. It is definitely Jack. Jack seems to have acquired an accent that he didn't have before. No, really. And he's a little more of a, of a prankster. Yeah. Which is fitting, you know, we're watching this on April Fool's Day. So this is where the uh, April Fool's joke of it all comes in. <laughs> prank. Anyways, um, <laughs> we see a cool POV shot. Of these night vision goggles. This is the second time we've seen POV shots in this film with night vision goggles. The first time was our man Bert. He jumped out of the thing so we know that the night vision goggles are present on the property. But now somebody else has got them. What do you think about these night vision POV shots? I enjoy them. That's how we found the house in the first place because, mm-hmm. you know, we had Bert's internal dialogue overdubbed with like, mm-hmm. oh, there's a house over there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I make my way to the house. Mm-hmm. And and uh, we know that Jack was using his sight. His sight has night vision. Yeah. And so he was using that uh, to see a lot of shit. I like it. It gives some visual texture. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a little visual texture between the outside and the darkness and all the very cool establishing shots. I think very cool establishing shots. Of just farmland and desolate, you know, broken down farmland at night. Mm-hmm. So it does like break up that not, I'm not going to say monotony because I like it, but it is monotony. And the interior shots of the house, which are only slightly different because it's just a different texture and there's different like things. There's walls and furniture and pictures framed on the wall and things like that. It's not outside, but to have that night vision, you get a different color palette entirely, of course, because it's. It's night vision. It doesn't really do much as far as being a plot device, but it is a visual and design photography device, and I do enjoy that very much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Jack's back. Kind of. Jack seems to be a whole new kind of scarecrow man. He almost looks vaguely sci-fi-like mm-hmm. because he's got the night vision goggles on his face. And he's missing his lower fucking half of it. He's not missing his lower jaw. That's inaccurate. He's missing the flesh. 
Yeah, so you can see all of his teeth and gums Mm -hmm. and things like that. And he's talking... It's like a different... I'm not going to say it's a different voice, but you can definitely tell... Like, I'm not going to say it's bad... Fuck it. It's bad ADR. Because it definitely... You could definitely tell that this actor... This was filmed ages later and added to the film in post because it doesn't sound like the voice is coming out of that thing. I don't know how you would talk coming out of that apparatus anyways. No, they sort of, he tries to when he first encounters him at the door and greets Curry, but you can tell that he can't talk through that mask and it's not fully mobile. But the voice is so strange. Hey, it's me, Jack. You're right. Everything was demonic. <laughs> Which is kind of hilarious. It, it is doesn't sound like him at all. And he's cracking jokes about yeah. going to Mexico because that was a whole big plan. How are we going to Mexico, Jane? Calling him Padre and stuff. Padre. And yeah, using like bad Spanglish. It's basically. weird. Yeah. It's so fucking weird. But his voice is entirely different. And yeah, it's partially bad ADR. They could have fixed that entirely. You know, mm. he could have even just been off fucking camera and talking. They could have made it sound fucking hell of a lot better. But I don't know. I think it's kind of, it helps be a little bit comical while it's so macabre because the makeup is done pretty well. I like the makeup. I think it's a really good creature effect. I think he looks, it's nice to have the, it's nice to have a new look to our enemies. We have Bert that just looked like Bert. And then we had the three scarecrows that, pretty much all look the same or at least very similar there's this greenish gray scale with brown on them but then you have this guy that looks like almost a totally different kind of creature Mm -hmm. it almost makes me think like is Bert sort of in this cusp because they take a scarecrow they take a person and they kill him and they cut them up the middle take all their guts out fill them with straw to sort of imbue them with the scarecrow magic that is contained within the property Mm -hmm. and then they become a scarecrow as well and then if they go a little further maybe they become something like what jack is now where they're starting to like lose flesh and stuff like that because the end game scarecrows the three scarecrows that live there have what looks like burlap fused to their skin mm-hmm. and it has taken the place of skin entirely so mm-hmm. maybe that's what happens in the interim mm-hmm. and i'm just guessing here entirely because none of this is laid out for us mm-hmm. but there is a difference between someone who looks just like wes looks to me right now except with a giant y incision and a bunch of straw instead of guts and the end game of what these scarecrows look like because mm-hmm. they do have you know, you can see their their teeth and the sinews and the muscles and stuff. And their skin is just what looks like someone has paper mache them, but with uh, a potato sack. And also the encounter of Bert uh, is not down for the count either because his head is able to speak and it's in the fridge. Yeah, like because um, Jack had put it in there mm-hmm. to get, keep the stink off the money because the money all smells like gore, mm-hmm. which is probably part of why Curry snapped so readily. He has been doused in the guts of one yeah. of their What do you friends. do with gore-covered money? Do you take that to the bank and, and say, will you take this? No, you just wash it. You just wash it? Yeah. Can you wash money and not have it fall apart? Yeah. I know you can it's wash... It's designed for that. I know you can wash our money because our money's practically plastic. <laughs> I have 13 American dollars left over from my trip to Pennsylvania. I can throw it in the wash. We should do a horror experiment Uh and get them covered in gore first. Done. 
<laughs> American money is already pretty fucking grimy. Yeah, it's true. They found like feces and cocaine on it and uh, the streptococcus virus. They find all kinds of shit on that money. I'm tempted to wash this money. <laughs> My fucking wallet's like an AIDS cesspool right now. It's disgusting. <laughs> Probably more cocaine in there than I've ever done in my life. <laughs> Just contained in the $13 sitting in my wallet. Oh. Thanks for making me have a mad OCD freak out. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, you can definitely wash money. That's needed sometimes. Oh. Is that where the term laundering money comes from? Do you literally launder it? More than likely. More than likely. <laughs> anyway, back to this fucking movie. With Curry now in the room where that satanic ritual, uh, I guess, took place. The candles are lit now. Yeah, and there's then, a small altar with lit candles, yeah. which is creepy because none of them did it, of course. It, yeah. yeah, and it was the same sense that Scarecrow Magic is responsible for the fact that Bert comes into the place, into the, the, the farmhouse initially, and there's a nail with a fly swatter on it. Nice touch because we definitely have the nail with a fly swatter on it at my cottage. But then when he goes back to that same spot, the fly swatter has gone and there's a key to the old Ford truck there. Mm-hmm. Makes not a lick of sense. No. But in, this, in that same vein, now that this altar is lit and that knife is gone. And so when Curry, fooled by Jack or whatever the fuck, opens the door, he gets knifed in the gut. It's presumably that same knife that was at that altar at some point. But now Jack, the Scarecrow, has it. Lo and behold, the fly is back at the very end of the film. So this mm-hmm. is like a whole Silent Hill puzzle right here. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. If you take this fly and put it on the altar, then what happens? Oh my god. I think you just cracked the world wide open with that. If we go back to the Ford and take the key out and bring it back and put it on the generator? Maybe. If we swap the windmill with the weather vane? Maybe. What's in the what's in the mill? Like what's in that windmill place? You need a key to that. So maybe in the tr- in the water trough. Well, I guess the windmill turns the generator. So if we turn the weather vane at the windmill, it makes the windmill go, which turns the generator on, which turns the lights on, so we can see the fly slaughter to put it on the altar, and then we just get stabbed in the fucking spleen because the scarecrow's behind us with the knife. Yeah, sure. And it took us a really long time to do all that. You just got to get past that fence. It's like the fucking legend of Sleepy Hollow. I'm assuming because once they get through that fence. Well, by the way. They've tried to get off this property before and the scarecrows basically stopped them. So I just assumed you couldn't leave the property without them getting at you. Yeah, it's true. Now, Corbin lights one of these fucking scarecrows right the fuck up. Finally takes one of them out with his giant exploding gun. I don't know why you needed a gun that large. to Like, again, like. You, you've taken out these scarecrows before, but he does use it. And so at the very least one is done. But then we get this nice shot of the scarecrow with the sickle, the little hand sickle. Mm-hmm. Like looking at his dead friend. Who do you think got it? Was it Lenny? Was it Pa? <laughs> I don't think it was Pa. No, I think that was more like Pa probably does this, the snipping up of mm-hmm. the sternum and through each rib and doing the Y incision. He probably does all the, the handiwork. Um Leonard Shorty. Shorty, yeah. I was thinking Shorty, too. But now, as they're trying to get through this impenetrable, rickety old fence, the scarecrows are a-coming, Lydia. And, like, this is one of those things where it's almost like when we were watching Tombs of the Blind Dead back in the day. And what did you call it? There was one case of, like, Slippery Baby. 
where, where the woman couldn't get on the fucking train. It's that, except Corbin, the big bald panther guy that he is, can't get underneath this fence. Because he's like uh, Pooh Bear. <laughs> Stuck at Rabbit's house. Yeah, but the, don't worry, because uh, as his calf is getting sickled to shit, mm-hmm. he's like, get out of here, run. Go, save yourself, leave me. Kelly's going to do the right thing. Though. Well, she has to, because he had said that he was going to protect her, so she has to now return the favor. Mm-hmm, pulls him out of there. And I like how when she gets him onto the plane and tries to nurse him, he's like, I'm fine, I'm fine, just get out of here. I'd be like, that'd be my attitude, too. It's like, yeah, my leg's bleeding, pretty shitty. Start the plane, please. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but she's also already in a state of shock. Right? That's true. Yeah. Um, Throughout the film, by the way, Kelly's had a dog. Little... Yeah, the dog's name is Dax, apparently. Yeah, little poocher. Ooh. Yeah. It's a, it's an ugly, what do you call this, a bulldog? It's like a British bulldog? Kind of. It's I, some I kind hate of... them fucking dogs. It's, it's, some, it's some part kind of like raggedy dog. And... Well, don't worry. It's on the plane, even though, like, she had clearly established that it wasn't on the plane earlier. But maybe the scarecrows were fucking with her again with magic? It could be that the dog returned to the thing it knew. Maybe the dog got scared by the scarecrows and was like, well, I know the plane and I've been living on this plane. Which I think is just cruel to take a dog up in a plane. But whatever. So I just keep thinking of the dog that the Russians launched into space. So I just worry about dogs on planes. Latka? So Laika, the Russian space dog. I think, was that the name of the dog? I think that, yeah, I think that was the... Yeah. yeah, that's what it reminds me of, this poor dog Dax. But I guess Dax probably just went back, like kenneling, back to the place that he was comfortable with. So I could see him returning to the plane. That didn't bother me at all. That's fine. Then we get this shot that really reminded me of this um, sequence. Well, I definitely talked to you about it as we were watching, but it really reminded me of that sequence in Heavy Metal where the World War II plane has zombies in it and shit like that. Yeah. A very iconic and one of my favorite segments. Mm-hmm. Next to Hanover Fist, mm-hmm. that is my favorite segment from the heavy metal animation. Yeah, I would I would agree with that, uh, definitely. But and it did. When they look down into the empty cargo bay yeah. and they're in flight by this point, like mm-hmm. it, it definitely, I did have vibes of it too. So when you mentioned it, it was just like, yeah, that does, it does remind me already of this. Mm-hmm. And then it really does come to a head because there is an undead on the plane, mm-hmm. much like the dog returned to the plane where it was comfortable and familiar with. I suppose Kelly's dad did too. Yeah, interesting. Do you think that he was able to leave the grounds because he wasn't part of the original three? I get a sense that the original three can't leave the grounds, but maybe uh, the Burt Scarecrow could. Or the denizens he... can? Yeah. Or, or is it because the plane is like home to him? Yeah, or do you think that he would eventually depower or lose his essence if they if he stayed off of that. Or maybe it's just a simple fact that the other scarecrows, the original three scarecrows, could leave the grounds but choose not to because they're there to protect those grounds. So why would they ever leave them? All of those things could be possible. But I like the idea that the original three can't leave the ground. So they don't have scarecrow magic beyond that. Yeah, that's kind of where I was thinking with this film. I was like, I don't think that they... I feel like if they if they went beyond that fence, they'd fall apart. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the only reason that they're creating more scarecrows is to help with the current cause, which is to get rid of these, these people. They're not making scarecrows because it's fun mm-hmm. or enjoyable. Mm-hmm. It's 
simply to help them boost their ranks when they need to get rid of more people. That's what it seems to be to me. Mm. And any of the powers bequeathed onto these new scarecrows are a complete mystery even to them, mm. I think. But who knows? What we need is more scarecrow mythology. We do. I had joked about wanting to see a remake of this and wondering, like, why are people remaking French horror that's perfectly serviceable when a movie like this could definitely stand an update because I really like the lore. I really like the creatures. I even like the Space Marines on planet Earth. Mm. I like all of that. Um, I even have a whole script for Scarecrows 2 in my head. Mm. But all it really needs is a score to be updated from this uh, plodding oboe music and crazy harp tunes that make me believe that Curry isn't crazy. I would even I would even settle for a prequel. Like let's do the three. Yeah. Let's get how did this ritual happen? How did they become these scarecrows? That would be cool. Mm-hmm. You could because you could definitely get your hillbilly horror in there, and you could have maybe pause the zealots and convincing everyone else, and maybe one of them was became a scarecrow against their will. Could be there's all kinds of possibilities that you could do with that. But yeah, more of this. Give something for Kane Hodder to do. Yeah. Get Karen Sovereign in there from Blood Ranch. No, she makes a great final girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Blood Ranch, the classic. Um, When? I'd rather worry about a prequel to Scarecrows 2 than a Blood Ranch 5. Blood Ranch 5, Blood Lions. Yeah. <laughs> um, Get Pinhead in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I think he has to be in every movie called Blood Lions. <laughs> Doug Bradley wakes up in the middle of the night and says, wait a second, I sense another Bloodlines movie being made. Get my agent on the phone. Yeah, pretty much. He has a spidey sense of a certain sort that detects <laughs> Bloodlines films being made. I love him. I love him to pieces. And I love him in every movie named Bloodlines. <laughs> yeah, that would be perfect. But yeah, a, a prequel would be fun. It smacks to me of... Of a bit of cliche, though, because that's sort of just where all of these, you know, we're getting yet another origin for Leatherface. Yeah. Thank you very much. But this is a pretty unique story because of the creatures. The hillbilly horror aspect of it all isn't very unique. And so we're going to have some interlopers that disrupt their way of life. Is that what's going to happen with these three remaining? You know, is industrialization going to threaten their farmland? Is that what's going to happen? But something's going to happen. It would be a very cool prequel. I would definitely like to see that. I would definitely like to see some sort of continuation just because I really enjoy the setting because I'm a big sucker for countryside, cornfields, scarecrows, crosscut saws, sickles, tin snips. Yeah. I love all of that stuff. Yeah, me too. And I think that what this film delivers on is those aesthetics that you're just talking about. Well, also having some paramilitary stuff in it. You know, when they're on the plane and Kelly's father, now what he is, attacking Corbin, seemingly killing him, then approaching, stalking Kelly. She's alerted, though, stabbed through the fucking forearm, like right through, though. Mm -hmm. And Corbin manages to get back because he's got another hand grenade. Woot. Yeah. Let's you know they didn't use all of their weapons again. They, when they realized these uh, scarecrows could take bullet after bullet after bullet, it, it surprises me that they didn't just start decapitating them all when they figured out that that basically worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he yeah did have explosive rounds. They all had grenades. Um, it's it's good that he didn't waste all of his ammo down there mm-hmm. on the ground. Although, do you think it's I don't know enough about grenades to know that if you were to like 
trigger if you were to trigger a grenade to explode within a plane like that what would happen i believe it's called armor grenade and it's not going to have the same sort of effect that you're thinking of at a high to altitude uh, compressed um, situation in a in a plane like in a, in a large jet an airliner this is a cargo plane that's flying flying out of low altitude doesn't need to be pressurized mm. and the bay doors are open so yeah. it's going to stay relatively contained i think it would have damaged the fuselage but there's nothing containing the explosion so it is going to take the path of least resistance explosions kind of travel like water mm. you know if you take a water balloon and drop it on the floor it's going to splat on the floor it's not going to like damage your ceiling so explosions do sort of like tend to behave like that depending on what sort of explosion it is i don't know a hell of a lot about grenades either there's a lot of meat around it too mm-hmm. there was a lot of meat around it too yeah the dog the old pupper started eating some of that meat i thought in a in a wicked bit of uh dark humor you just have the dog munching on some man meat I think it's great because the poor dog has been dragged fucking planes, trains, and automobiles and hasn't been fed or petted. The interesting thing that they add, there's a radio announcer that bookends this entire picture. Which I enjoy thoroughly. At the, at the beginning, he sets up, the radio announcer sets up everything from the robbery to the paramilitary escape to the hijacking of the plane. So, okay, we got it. We know where we're at. We don't need a huge long intro. That would be expensive and uh, time consuming. This radio host's voice takes place at the beginning of the movie, somewhere near the middle. We get a little like update sort of, and then at the end. So it it does fit that the radio announcer is is filling us in. It's bookending this quite neatly. The, the, The radio announcer lets us know that Kelly survived and that the hijacked plane was landed back at the military base in which the money was initially stolen from. They indicate... That they the dog had to be sedated because it was vicious. Yeah, it attacked the police attack. officers immediately. Do you think is that an indication that this dog has now be is now imbued with whatever this is because he ate the flesh of this stuff? That is the type of thing that you would see in a zombie movie. Yes, it is. And although the dog wasn't cut open, the stuff was straw, mm-hmm. which belies the entire mechanism of the scarecrows. Uh, that's what we're led to believe that. Or the dog had just been crazed by eating man meat. I don't know. I don't know either. I mean. Maybe there weren't scarecrows at all and it was all just a huge mass illusion and they all had rabies. <laughs> could be that too. No, it couldn't. But I, I we're led to believe that the dog has caught the scarecrow fever. Yeah. Or scarecrow magic. I like, I like it being called. Scarecrow magic, magic just makes it seem like we just live in a world of wonder and excitement. We kind of do. We do. kind of do, because we have a 100th episode coming up. It's kind of wonderful and exciting. It is wonderful, and it is exciting. I cannot believe that we are almost there. The next time we sit down in front of each other, Lydia, mm-hmm. it will be episode 100 of the Dead Air Podcast. What do we got for them then? Tombs of the Blind Dead. That's right. But not just one, and not just two, and not just three. And not just four. No, it's exactly four. We are going to handle the entire Tombs of the Blind Dead series in one double-stuffed, action-packed, soaking wet episode. Well, not really. They're kind of bone dry. Oh, right. Bone dry episode of the Dead Air Podcast. I'm going to call it Dead Air Bloodlines.
<laughs> there is uh, a lot of stuff that the episode is going to have. We're going to talk about these four movies up and down. And I, the reason for that is, is because sometimes the best way to go forward is to just look back one last time. And turn into a pillar of salt. I'm hoping that if I have time to get in contact with Promote Horror at PromoteHorror.com or at PromoteHorror on Twitter and see if I can't get some advertising in just to, you know, bolster the ranks a little bit, you know, turn some other unsuspecting people into scarecrows along with (laughs) y'all and hopefully have a lot of people tune in for our special 100th episode covering one of the most fun Spanish horror films. There was last time we had a huge storm here. Uh, We had recorded on a day when it was storming and thundering not too long ago. And that evening I sat down amongst the thunder and the rain and watched uh, some Tombs of the Blind Dead. And it was just perfect. So I don't think enough people get into that film. Too many people spend too much time watching Dario or Gentle films, mm-hmm, as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned. So I'm pretty excited to get into all of those again and revisit our initial first episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be really, really fun. And not only that, but there's going to be some special stuff for you guys in that episode, too. Up to and including the unaired, never-before-heard first episode of the Dead Air podcast, where it was just me before I begged on my hands and knees for Lydia to save me. Which I've never heard either. (laughs) So it's going to be a fucking treat. (laughs) I'll have more ammo to write down. Things to make fun of Wes for. (laughs) Number one. That book is getting pretty fucking thick. Speaking of books, what about magazines? Books, magazines, upcoming anthologies. I got all sorts of stupid shit to plug aside from my own crap that you can find at nightface.ca um i've been like i don't have a hell of a lot of time i used to read a lot more magazines i am a fan of rumor magazine as anyone knows mm-hmm. fangoria has bit the dust um i don't care to speculate on whether it's ever coming back i don't care because i've never been a huge uh, fangoria print fan mm-hmm. and other horror magazines sort of like some pop up and some go away I always take notice and I try and sort of stay on top of what new horror magazines. Also in the back of my mind is like, what could I write for? Because someone had asked why I never write for Rue Morgue magazine. And I said, I don't shit where I eat, mm-hmm. which, you know, could be taken a lot of different ways. I've never written for Rue Morgue because they will not have me. I They probably wouldn't have me either. <laughs> They're probably going to look at it and say, well, I'm not going to let you shit where other people eat, Lydia. Yeah. So don't bother. Mm-hmm. Um but this new horror magazine caught my eye when uh, Chris and I were in a Barnes & Noble, which I'd never been in before. So it's just like a chapter, but it was all new to me. They have different magazines. And I was looking for Black Static Magazine, which is a, a horror literature magazine that also reviews movies and books and film. Movies and books. Um, and I have a hard time finding Black Static anywhere. So I was looking there for it. And Horrorville caught my eye. Whoa. It's a new magazine from the UK. This is only issue three. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's brand spanking new. And I really enjoy the way that they approach the back end of the magazine where they do reviews and stuff. Because they do dedicate more than a page to many reviews. And then a page to some reviews. Then a half page to some reviews. And then as you read through the book, you're getting you know smaller quips. Where a lot of magazines don't devote the real estate that they should to the 
large amount of horror that is out there, you're going to get, you know, a cover story and a spread and one or two features. And then everything else is fit into a fucking postage stamp. So there's so many releases that just are not covered in magazines. And this one, Horrorville, does a really good job of just hitting as many titles as they can, it seems. And they have a more robust video game section, a far more robust horror fiction section for new releases of fiction, more so than even Black Static. I don't recognize any of the names off the masthead, which is also a plus because it's a whole new crop of UK writers, journalists, editors, a whole new publishing house that I'm not aware of. So I really enjoy that. People who read Scream magazine Scream mag, yeah. might know some of these names, but I'm not a regular subscriber to Scream. I pick mm. up the very rare copy and follow their online stuff. So I'm not aware of their masthead. But uh, yeah, Horrorville is a, a yeah. very cool horror magazine that I really hope lasts. Yeah, I definitely was uh, flipping through it when I sat down here. There's a lot of really cool articles in it. It sounds like we're getting fucking paid to like talk up Horrorville. It's not that at all. It's just Lydia had it here and it was a big glossy horror magazine. And so I picked it up and started reading it. Yeah, so it was a lot of really cool, a little cool article about Resident Evil, a little cool article about like horror art that I read. It seems really well written. And let me tell you, and I've said this before. Those cats in the UK, man, rabid horror fans. And they know their horror. Holy and they're not shit. like, I don't know. I find a lot of with the US and American, we follow some sort of like promotional script mm. when we're talking about a, a film or, or a book or whatever. And we're definitely just firing off of fucking press releases. And it's so obvious and very transparent when, mm-hmm. when people do that, when writers do that. Mm-hmm. Um, or they're just digging for front end content and they're doing. Things like, look at this new bubble bath that's called Bloodbath. And, like, you know, we've seen 400 of those, but they're still treating it like it's something exciting and new. Mm-hmm. Um, where I find the Brits are a little more cut and dry about that. If something is exciting and new, they'll say, this is something that is exciting and new. And they're not kidding about mm-hmm. it. If they're, you know, bringing to light horror films that are underground, they're not treating it like it's that gem they dug out of their back pocket and they're going to share this secret information with you and Mm -hmm. let you into their little fucking club. Mm -hmm. They're very deadpan about it. Yeah. They don't, um, you know, they don't grandstand. And I just feel like there's just different influences. There's different um, levels of importance to things. Like I feel like British horror mags spend less time talking about slashers, which is like a really big subgenre of horror in the west not so much uh i mean like the uk loves their slashes and everything like that but like you just have more opportunity to talk about more different kinds of horror i mean i saw really i was reading a really cool article about um cannibal horror horror from the 70s and 80s and a lot of those titles i hadn't even heard of before and so i got to read a whole article about it and i was like yeah this is fucking dope i like this yeah they really seem to level the playing field so instead of like mm-hmm. a four-page spread on joe hill fireman yeah they have four pages of you know 15 different books that's the thing right like even their big the biggest story that i saw in the horrorville this thing was uh was a big uh look back on all the resident evils really cool if you like resident evil and you want to know where the video games came out and a little blurb about them and there was a a, there was a fairly big article about romero's dead series but that wasn't 10 pages of the fucking magazine it was just two pages and even the resident evil thing was like you know four or five pages and and we're done with and there's a lot more horror to talk about this month you know so yeah i think this is a really good uh, horror magazine 
I love the size of it too. It's a nice big magazine. You it know? is a big magazine. And yeah. it even says right on the front there's 116 pages of terrifying new movies, TV, and books. Hell yeah. And they're not like all about the TV. So it's not just a huge Walking Dead magazine. Yeah, that's the thing. And it seems, seems they have their advertisements, but it doesn't seem. We know some of the horror magazines you can flip through. It's like every fucking other page is just like. An advertisement. And sure, that's the bread and butter, and that's what's driving, you know, you've been told before that radio is a delivery vehicle for advertising. Mm-hmm. Magazines are a delivery vehicle for advertising. Yeah, that's exactly. what really keeps a lot of the editorial afloat, unfortunately, yeah. but that's yeah. just the way that it fucking is. But this is placed and designed very, very well. So at yeah. least they must have had some sort of nesting or came from some other publishing house. I don't know if they're just an imprint of something else that's larger that's footing the bill for this but mm-hmm. thank fucking god they are because it's come about mm-hmm. to be a very very strong entry into the horror journalism yeah world. yeah so I, I so i guess what we're saying is if you can find yourself a copy of horrorville yeah i hope they distribute it in canada i really do so, yeah yeah i definitely yeah. would pick some up if they were in canada follow sure. them on twitter yeah. you know that's what seems to like run the fucking universe these days so yeah please follow them on twitter uh, yeah and you can also, if you want to, like, follow people on Twitter all fucking day, um, a new publisher, ID Press, they have accepted a story of mine to be published in November. You can follow them at, at, at ID Press on Twitter. And they've got a couple anthologies coming out. I think they're an up-and-coming small press. And I'm very excited. My old uh, editor, Tobin Elliott, is involved with them. So I'm very excited to... You know, support what Tobin's doing now because I think he's awesome, and also because they've tentatively accepted a story of mine. Mm. And a lot of other authors are very excited and pleased because there is this new anthology coming out where they've let let, let some authors, specifically a couple horror authors, kind of spread their wings into other genres, which I think is very cool. So yeah, ID Press, and of course, at This Is Horror, This Is Horror UK. Um, they're like my all-time favorite literary horror podcast. And I just really like the way that they've been going with their podcast. I mean, the Wicked Library just surpassed 1 million downloads in nine months, which is fucking crazy. And I'm just really glad that I've been a part of the Wicked Library. So you can follow them at, at Wicked Library on Twitter as well. And I'm just going Twitter crazy. I don't know why, but whatever. I'm really proud of the Wicked Library. And they have added author interviews at the ends of their episodes which is fucking cool and that probably explains why they've had a million downloads in nine months like they're a great horror fiction podcast but now they're appealing to both sides of that fence which this is horror had done not so much anymore i don't think but they were only like interviews and discussion and then they started doing some fiction readings as well so those two podcasts really run that gamut for people who like horror fiction and for people who like a little bit more of the nuts and bolts as far as literary horror. And I do wish that Bind Torture Cast had a Twitter account, but they don't. So you can't follow Bind Torture Cast on Twitter. But you can follow them when you talk to me because it's all I'm going to talk about. My great and enormous love for that shining example of a horror podcast. Well, ain't that fucking special. Well, they kicked our ass. Are we ahead of 100 episodes? They are, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Are we coming? We coming. And then we're going to slowly recline because it'll, you know, be like another year or four before we're actually at par. Perhaps. But if you guys, speaking of Twitter, want to have a film, particularly, I don't know why I'm talking like Captain Kirk. There's someone on the wings, something. 
if you guys are interested in following us on Twitter, you can find me at Wes Dead Air Knife or Lydia at Typical Lydia. If you can leave a request for a movie you'd like to do, we've gotten quite a few requests in the last little while. Everything from Train to Busan to Dead Silence to Tales from the Hood. And that is requested to us on Twitter or on splatterpictures.net, our home site, which you can also leave. Seems people like to leave requests in the about section. Seems to be where people like to leave their... It's kind of cool. You know what? If it's a dog pile of fucking requests, I'm fine with that. I'm going to start putting them onto a third page of our spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. And... You know, seeing what gets requested most often so that we don't let, leave something fall through the cracks. I know coming up, we have what is basically a request from Chris from Brian Torture Cast. And a request from me in my heart is Vamp. I picked up a copy of that, Blu-ray copy of mm-hmm. Vamp when I was down south. And I really love that fucking movie. So that's coming at you. Mm-hmm. And Train to Busan, of course. Mm-hmm. Because that's being requested and we don't want it to fall through the cracks. Yeah. And it helps us get into a zombie movie. Hell yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I don't know how long the Tombs of the Blind Dead is going to run us. You know, for mm-hmm. 100th episode, we could be talking your ear off for three hours. Mm-hmm. We could rip through it in an hour. We have no idea what really to expect that way. But I'm excited to hear some unaired snippets of the origins of Dead Air. Mm-hmm. And just as a little fun thing for you guys throughout the week, uh, before we lead up, I'll be also sharing stuff on our Facebook page about original art of noose before the banners were even made and a lot of we'll maybe post some extra photos from our about section that never got put up so we can do more stuff and just uh so yeah like i'm all excited for our centennial episode but i'm sure by the time we hit 200 episodes it'll be like i can't believe how excited i was for 100 episodes yeah and going by weekly it'll take us even longer so true whatever we'll be Mm -hmm. old and gray or i'll be older and grayer and you might have aged a bit i will have aged a bit I'm I'm still looking for my first gray hair. I don't know when it'll come, but soon. A little California silver might make me look more distinguished. What do you think? Eh, I like this Barney Rumble look you got going on. I'm thinking about shaving my beard. Do it up. I hate beards. <laughs> but who am I? doesn't matter what I think. Honestly, it never fucking matters what I think. It does matter what you think when it pertains to horror movies and not my physical appearance. True. <laughs> no. Barely. Truer. I'll give you that. <laughs> well thank you for listening and you can check us out like Wes said on Twitter and splatterpictures.net and check us out on SoundCloud you can comment right on the things we're saying that's my favorite thing about SoundCloud hell yeah I'm Wes Snipe and I'm Typical Lydia and you've been listening to Dead Air <laughs>